Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we, I know you teach a trauma class at Columbia, and uh, we are going to be talking about surviving a violent death today. And with uh, a person who's an expert in the field has not only talked the talk, but she's walked the walk. I am so glad that our guest is here to talk about traumatic loss, because I don't think we talk about this enough. And, you know, that's why I designed and created this course. How do traumatic losses impact us over our lifespan? And, you know, how are they different? How are violent traumatic deaths different than other kinds? And so our guest is here to shed some light on this. Because as you said, mom, she's had her own personal experience when her son and his roommate were kidnapped and murdered. And she is a bereaved parent. She is an international psychotherapist with 28 years of experience helping people cope with the challenges of living in today's tumultuous times. Her name is Kathleen O'Hara, and she's written an incredible book called A Grief Like No Other, Surviving the Violent Death of Someone You Love. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you so much, Heidi and, and, and Gloria, for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure. And also going through your website and looking at the, the work that you do and open to hope, I think says it all because mm -hmm. that's what it's about. Right. Staying open to hope that at some point you'll get better or at least you'll learn how to live again. You can talk about briefly what happened to the boys. Uh, they were college students at the Franciscan University in Ohio, and uh, in 1999, their house was broken into. They just moved off the idyllic Franciscan campus, and uh, their house was broken into. Uh, they were abducted, taken to the woods, and shot. Uh, they're, they're apparently the, the two young men who did this were very high on crack, and it just was a burglary gone wrong and, and the insanity that, that that all ensues. So obviously I was a therapist already uh, for seven years, but at that point I took time off and just had to, to deal with something I never even thought possible. Right. Um, you know, and I had counseled some, you know, periodically bereaved people, but I, until that happened to me, I really had no idea of the depth of that type of death. So, so about five years later, I thought, you know, I want Aaron's death to mean something besides to me and uh, wrote the book and dedicated it to him. And basically the book is coping mechanisms for homicide, suicide, drug overdose, terroristic events, auto accidents. I didn't have some of the things that you have in this traumatic, traumatic kind of situation. Things like the trial, right. um, you know, uh, and also, as I understand it, with traumatic loss, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that 
I had a traumatic loss. Heidi had a traumatic loss when her brother died. But the randomness, I mean, of having people come in and take a life, it's so random. It, it just shouldn't happen. It's almost beyond the brain coping with it. Well, honestly, none of it should happen. Cars shouldn't explode. People shouldn't take their own lives. People shouldn't take other people's lives. COVID shouldn't have come in and taken millions of lives, but they do happen. We're just unprepared for them. And I think the, to me, the high incidence of PTSD that accompanies these kinds of deaths is the trauma and, and the symptoms to deal with. And the way that I kind of, and, and of course, your loss is different because yes, I had trials, which by the way, went on for 10 years. Wow. Suicide is different because of uh, obvious feelings of guilt and trauma, drug addiction. But I, but I do put them together in violent, unexpected, and as you pointed out, random, just random things. Right. One minute the world is this way and the next minute it isn't that way anymore. How was it at trial? Did you have a, a person with you who helped you through the trial? Well, curiously, they had just started the victim advocate program in Ohio, and we were her first case because also it was a stupid bills, a small town. And uh, she was very genuine and very helpful. As a result of my book, by the way, I got involved with the victims, uh, uh, Federal Office for Victims of Crime because I also wanted to help uh, uh, police, judges, lawyers learn how to deal with victims because you know they meet the family at the worst possible time. Right. So, so that became a focus of mine for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, how were you the first year or two? Pretty bad. I would say that five years, I started to noticeably feel better. Now, I, I think I worked a little bit in year two and three. And actually what, what, what I was asked to do was to go to different um, churches and uh, that were related to the university because it was a Catholic university. And that seemed easier for me to do because we would talk about hope and we would talk about faith and we would talk about how something in an so-called orderly world could happen like that. So, so I, I did some of that and then decided to write the book mm -hmm. and then started working, well, before that with, with victims of crime. Mm -hmm. So it took a while. The answer to your question is, it took a good five years to be able to cross the ocean of grief. And so yeah. Kathleen, I'm just wondering, how is traumatic loss different than other kinds? Is it just because it's so jarring and unexpected? And I think that it resembles PTSD, right? In the sense of, and I'm not going to say it's like a, you know, battle born or, or possibly as, you know, serious, heavy as that, but you enter this battlefield. And so that let's, you get a phone call, you get a, the knock on the door, you find the body, something happens, it changes your world. From that point, the reaction of the trauma 
has what? I think the statistics, uh, 25 to 40% will have PTSD, traumatic symptoms. So the intrusive memories, the extreme emotions, the constant preoccupation with what, trying to find out what happened, trying to change it in your mind, you know, the insomnia, the, you know, the escape mechanisms, all the, and they look a lot like PTSD symptoms. Sounds like in the healing, you need to, you need to work on the trauma narrative, the hypervigilance, yes. Yes. all those looking at the world is no longer a safe and predictable place. You really need to look at the trauma and heal the trauma. It is very trauma-based. So when, when I work with a family that has experienced any kinds of those deaths from a range of it, it will be to go in and first support and hold the trauma for them. Because as you know, you can't. It's so mm -hmm. unbelievable and unthinkable. And then to start working with the symptomology which will be a lot like PTSD and to be able to help through education and, and listening and holding that space and then finding resources, their inner resources that can help them and the family. And then having family group meetings where if they want it and, and if that will help them. You know, with these trials and everything, what about forgiveness and gratitude? I know you talk about that in your book. Um, where does that come in and how do you find that? And it... Well, that's the big question, isn't it? I, I found early on people were sending me books on forgiveness. Now, I didn't even know all the details, nor could I even grasp everything that was going on. And I was being asked to forgive people that I didn't even know. Mm -hmm. I found that not only impossible, but really pretty insulting and demanding. Mm -hmm. So I, when I wrote the book, I realized that if I, could, if I could get some sense of gratitude, I might have a generous spirit or a more generous spirit to be able to start to forgive and to see the situation as just a really bad situation that happened. And by the way, acceptance was part of that. So the three principles I talk about of being out in the deep, this is after the first year when you're in the deep waters and you don't know where you're going. So I talk about gratitude, acceptance. They're, this is not going to change. And that's one of the hardest things I think for a grieving person to realize is there's nothing that's going to change about that and being able to accept that. And then having some gratitude and then thinking about forgiveness and in, in uh, uh, hiding in terms of trauma, being able to process those traumatic symptoms. Because I think that one is hardly capable of forgiveness if they haven't processed the traumatic symptoms. And you process through talk, talking about it and talking about it with someone that's supportive, is that? I think that, that and, and the traumatic therapy, right? So there's mm -hmm. the approaches of being able to hold that space. Because I think the thing is that people worry 
that if they talk about this, it's never going to stop. And the person they're talking to is not going to be able to hold the space for them. How would that look to me? If they don't abandon you in the middle of your grief. Because let's face it, these, these things that happen are pretty terrible. And most of us want to run the other way. We might want to be there for the person. But it's not an easy thing to be there for a person whose heart is breaking and they're, they're screaming and they're, they're crying and they can't put two words together. It's not an easy place to be. So and somebody that could just be with you and sit with you and maybe not even say anything. People have a way of interrupting your grief and steering you in another direction when they can't tolerate it, when they can't, they don't want to hear it. You know, I know when my brother died, people used to say to me, wow, that must have been really hard on your parents. And that was a way to kind of move away from my own grief and talk about something else, you know? So, you know, people, it's interesting how people will do that. You know, if they're, you know, change the topic and move in a different direction. Right, and, and want to move you in a different direction. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. because, they, because in all honesty, many people don't have the wherewithal to be able to hang in there and yeah. and you know it, it is it is something isn't it yeah. and i think you know the fact that we're living in such a traumatic world we're all sort of under that right now so those of us who have actually lived through these other kinds of traumas may actually be somewhat better at dealing with it because you know been there done that okay it doesn't make it less scary or terrible but you know that okay you know there's a beginning there's a but but you're so right about that and that well i think i think that's important kathleen because there is post-traumatic growth like you're saying when you've had great adversity when there's other adversity that happens in life you're you've got the coping skills oftentimes to be able to handle it and deal with it. it, it it's very interesting. And that's what, you know, Open to Hope is about also. And I was uh, reading this book called Anti-Fragility, which I find very fascinating by Nicholas Taleb, I think. I, I hope I didn't get his name wrong, but he wrote about black swan events in the market. And so what he talks about, you have fragility, which is when a trauma happens like a teacup it can break that teacup. There's too much pressure on it. You can have resilience, which, okay, the teacup is sort of usable, but yeah. Or you can have anti-fragility, which is built into the system so that you have transformed your trauma in order to get to a place that is more anti-fragile. And I really like this idea. How do I start? Well, as you already know, the part of it is going to be your own resources and being able to cry, mm -hmm. being able to have that time and, and not to worry about who's listening or not listening or, or whatever, you know, that being able to ride these intense waves of emotion, that's number one. And to realize that that is going to be the state of being for a while. And then number two, to look at what are the organizations that are available? I call them lighthouses in the harbor. What are those kinds of 
of organizations like yours or, or suicide, uh, survivors of suicide, families of homicide victims, which, which is huge in America. Uh, there are specific organizations and they do help people because they help because then you don't feel alone. Right. The first thing is to reach out and it's so much easier than it was 20 years ago. Because right. yeah. with the internet, you talk to people. Mm-hmm. But you know, something, getting back to what Heidi was talking about, I think this thing of feeling that people want to avoid you or avoid your, mm-hmm. your makes you isolate. So you yeah. tend to reach out less because you were, you got the message somewhere that people don't want to hear this. Right. They want you to be okay. Yeah. So, so I think, I think that creates the isolation and then, you don't you stop talking about it or you try to just carry on. Whereas I think joining a group, getting online, that finding your specific group that's going to help you and reaching out mm-hmm. and people will respond because as you well know, once you've gone through something like this, we are a family we never wanted to, <laughs> this wasn't in our playbook this wasn't how it was supposed to be kathleen i'm also wondering about those people out there and i was definitely one of them that can't get the trauma narrative out of their heads that can't get the way that my brother died out of my head initially i couldn't it was just a loop and yeah. so what how do how do you go about getting that loop out of your head? I mean, with murder and suicide and car crashes and all these things. That's that loop is the PTSD. That's the loop. You're on it. You relive it as if it is happening right now. And, and it's controlled by the limbic system. So it doesn't know the difference between yesterday and today. It only knows that. And I tend to look at it like it's something that's full of energy, full. It's everything. But as you kind of bring it out, you talk about it to people who can help you. You allow those memories and you drain the well, you cry, you yell, you take rocks in the woods and you throw, you, you exercise the demons of those really hard emotions. And what starts to happen is the loop gets slower and slower. And through the first year, it'll be triggered constantly because you're always hearing new things. The second year, maybe a little bit less, right? And you're working towards a time where you miss the person. But how it happened is not the important part anymore. It's what the relationship you have with that person. And that's why in my book, I talk about, we have to build a new relationship Mm -hmm. because otherwise we only stay in that part. So it's a, to answer your question, it's a combination of the practical therapeutic work and building a new life in time, crossing that ocean of grief. Uh, Kathleen, you're fabulous. And you oh. certainly have 
past the ocean of grief and helping other people. Tell us about your website, where you are, and how we, people can get your book. Uh, they can get the book on Amazon. Uh, my website is just kathleenohara.com. Um, and uh, my email is keohara at aol.com is probably the best way to reach me. All right. Well, thank you so much for your work and all the things that you do and the fact that you hang in and, and speak, for well, me, which I love. I would say the same thing to you. And yes, thank you so much, Kathleen. You are such an example of someone that has had violent traumatic loss and found hope again. And for those out there that are really struggling, please go get Kathleen's book, A Grief Like No Other, Surviving the Violent Death of Someone You Love. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank you. Thank you. And Heidi and I want to thank you for joining our show today. And we always want to remind you, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.